is brought to you by Exclusive Books, celebrating getting more books to more people. A big welcome to our final book choice show for the year on Fine Music Radio, sponsored by Exclusive Books. My name is Paige Nick, and for the next hour, we'll be joined by our reviewers sharing the new books they've been reading, as well as reminiscing about some of their favorite reads from this last year. I hope this show finds you enjoying a great summer read, wherever you are, whether that's on a beach with a book in one hand and a cocktail in the other, on your couch with a Kindle, or hiding from your family with your book in the bathroom, or if you're still working, burning the midnight oil, but also managing to get a few pages in here or there, even if you're just dreaming of reading. Here's a shout out to all the readers everywhere. Did you know that Vanessa Levenstein is the fairy godmother for this show? She works tirelessly and passionately behind the scenes as the unofficial producer of the show. I want to say thank you for everything you do for us, Vanessa, you wonderful human being. But before we finally let you get a well-earned break, I was hoping you would start off the show by telling us about some of your favorite books from this last year. I'm recapping some of my favorite reads of 2022, which means there are going to be some books I enjoyed but just don't have time to include. However, here they are in no particular order. I'm going to start with my constant musical companion, published in 2020, Rodney Trudgeon's Concert Notes, a selection of favorite orchestral masterpieces. This book is like having Rodney's musical mind on tap. It's perfect to dip into when you have a question about music or you're listening to a piece of music and want to understand it better. It's easy to read, witty and unpretentious. Tonight, and clearly I'm pre-recording this review, I'm going to the City Hall and one of the pieces the CPO is playing is Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. I opened my book and here's a line about the piece. The famous clarinet opening is almost as admired as the themes themselves. This leads to a first theme, and then the woodwind suggests a second idea. After the second idea has been explored by the piano, at some length, the music prepares for a new episode on the strings. A beautiful, curving, romantic tune, which is the rhapsody part of the title, and which has become so famous. Moving on to the City of Kings trilogy by Sipiwe, Gloria and Lovo. All three books are linked by the land, which though unnamed is Zimbabwe. There are so many themes that run through them. Courage in the face of adversity and corruption, moral choices, bravery and redemption, and beauty. The first in the series is The Theory of Flight, winner of the 2019 Barry Ronger Fiction Prize. At the centre is the protagonist Jeannie, who emerges from a golden egg and departs the world on silver wings. Years later, following a harrowing interrogation and detention, she says, You cannot break me. You see, I know for certain that my parents were capable of flight. Two equally brilliant sequels follow, The History of Man, in which the central figure is Emile Coetzeeer. We first meet him as he is washing blood off his hands, literally. The Quality of Mercy is the story of a dignified, brilliant and good policeman, spokes Malloy. Throughout his solid career, he's been haunted by the one case he couldn't solve. Yet it's not the unsolved murder, but the disappearance of Emile Coetzeeer that takes spokes on an unplanned journey. These are books to be reread, discussed and enjoyed, and prescribed as school set works. 
The good news is that we can look forward to more books from the City of Kings. Whose narrative is it anyway? It's the question that comes to mind when reading Trust by Hernan Diaz. Long listed for the 2022 Booker Prize, this extraordinary novel is set in New York in the 1920s. It centers on the lives of a married couple. He is a legendary Wall Street tycoon, and she is, oh, that's the question, who is she? What is her story? The novel is divided into four sections, each narrated by a different voice, but whose version can we trust? While money is a motive, it's also political. One of the book's characters, a Marxist, questions the very meaning of money. Money says nothing about its owner, as opposed to having, I don't know, talent, which defines a person. Money's relationship with the individual is completely accidental. I've just read my 30-minute bar mitzvah, a memoir by Dennis Herson. The book has a shout-out by none other than Fanula Darling, in which she describes it as beautifully written, funny and moving. We know that a bar mitzvah is a coming-of-age religious ceremony for a 13-year-old Jewish boy, after which he emerges as a man. It's also a time of bonding between a father and son. Yet what happens when there are other forces and conflicting ideologies at play? The author writes, After the Sharpeville massacre, our house began filling up with even more people than before, needing to say things to each other in private. They came, that is, if my father was there at all, because sometimes he said he was going out for a walk at night, but did not return for a day or two. This book is poignant, but not depressing. And much like the title, the book is a short, yet meaningful, significant read. The Man Who Loved Crocodile Tamers by Fanula Darling is definitely the author's most personal, and to date, her magnum opus. The author blends fiction, fact, the burlesque, and the ordinary to write about her father, who died when the author was a young child. Fanula is a poet. Now, if we could compare writers to painters, she just has a Rolls-Royce palette with the finest brushes to express herself. I love this book. And the quote I'm going to choose isn't one of the poetic ones. It's her line her father, who was a copywriter, wrote. I rate the man who loved crocodile tamers great. Thanks to all our writers, publishers, and of course exclusive books for giving us this opportunity to share these funny, sad, and enriching reads with our book-loving listeners. Thank you, Vanessa. I've read two of the books that you mentioned, and I can agree with your choices, both Trust by Herman Diaz and, of course, The Quality of Mercy by Sapiwe Gloria and Lovu are both on my list of top 10 reads for the year. And you for sure piqued my interest with a couple of the others that you mentioned too.
That was You Made Me Love You by the Johnny Cooper Orchestra. And you're tuned into the very last episode of Book Choice for 2022 here on Fine Music Radio, sponsored by Exclusive Books, with me, your host, Paige Nick. Next up, it's Shirley Gurler's turn. And heads up, all you Philippa Gregory fans, Shirley will be reviewing Dawnlands, which is the new historical fiction from Philippa Gregory. She's the number one best-selling author of Tidelands and Dark Tides. Over to you, Shirley. The amount of research and detail that Philippa Gregory puts into her novels is prodigious. We all know the White Queen and the Red Queen, and I bet we all love them. So I came to Dawnlands with anticipation and discovered myself to be an ignorant newcomer to the Fairmile series, for this is the third novel, but that didn't spoil it one whit for me. It was a great standalone, so good that it has made me eager to get my hands on the first two novels, and then you can imagine how good they are for those who are familiar with the series. Dawnlands is alive, so alive that it makes the later series of The Crown a slow-moving, even boring, failed telenovela. It's an utterly believable story of a period Gregory surely must have lived through because she transports us back so well. I thought I knew a little about the Royal Stuarts, but clearly I know much less than I thought I did. For Dawnlands, with its intrigues, its battles between support for the Protestants and the Catholics, its lies and deceptions, and its exploration of relationships across generations, teaches history accessibly, romantically, and compellingly. One of the things I learned was that there was a rebellion against James three years before the Glorious Revolution. The Pitchfork Rebellion pitted those who wanted a Protestant England, and they were the supporters of the late Charles II's illegitimate son, the Duke of Monmouth, against the Catholic James II, brother of Charles, and James's papist followers and family of his Italian wife. The history extends to slave traders, sugar growers, racists, and those almost unworldly people who can survive in the rich underground caves of Barbados. The romance part is mainly a fantasy, the avuncular love of Ned Ferryman for a young, stubborn, resilient American Indian, Rowan, a girl disguised as a boy, for he saves her and is saved by her, and the more tangible real love his nephew has for her in the face of her disdain and betrayal. Yet it's also credible. The compelling nature of this book comes into play in the intrigue between the noble Donna, an Italian aristocrat with a dark past, and her relationship with the Italian Queen of England, who has this dreadful need to produce a male heir. But this pales against the wrongs the noble Donna effected on the salt of the earth family at the center of the novel. This is a story of survival of the fittest, and while it is clear who will be the fittest, it's not always clear how they will survive. Gregory's characters really live. There's generosity and gentleness, contrasting with greed and great ruthlessness among the upstarts and those they destroyed to get ahead, the peasants who rise and the aristocrats who fall. You can taste the rum in Barbados, smell the ocean in Sussex, and feel the wind on the Thames beside the wharfs where the trade begins and ends. You can feel the anxiety of the threatening hangman's rope, and you are invigorated by the healing power of the herbs. You are beside the front-line soldiers, and above all, you are grateful that you live in a time when life is so much better for so many of us, when a matriarch is not ancient at the age of 64, when boys are not qualified and experienced lawyers at 18, and girls are not marriageable in their very early teens. Two caveats for me. 
Is it truly possible in a country like England, where class has always been so important, that some uneducated commoners and educated aristocrats could also mingle as equals? Whatever, Gregory does make it believable, but the couple of times her editors took liberties with language or rather grammar annoyed, it stopped me in my tracks to have the army was and the army were in the same sentence. But that's not Gregory's fault, I'm sure. Putting the book down at the end left me with a feeling that the story wasn't done. There will be another one in the Fairmile series, and as soon as I've procured the first two, I will anticipate the fourth. Philippa Gregory never disappoints. You may know the history and the outcome, but that doesn't matter. She makes it all so fresh. I'm excited to welcome our next reviewer to the show. Beryl Eichenberger is no stranger to a best-selling novel, and today she'll be reviewing one of the biggest hits of 2022, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Gamus. This has been that book that everyone has been reading and talking about, and it's going to come out as a movie in 2023, with Brie Larson taking on the role of chemist-turned-TV star, Elizabeth Zott. She's a character navigating society in 1960s America and also navigating its opinions of single mothers in the workplace. Are you someone who likes to read the book first before you watch the movie? I am. So a heads up for you that this is going to be released really soon, so be sure to grab your copy before then. Lessons in Chemistry came highly recommended from a number of sources, so my curiosity got the better of me, and I'm so glad it did. I won't easily forget either the unusual heroine or the author, a holiday read that is simply delightful, hilarious, full of quirky characters and situations, utterly believable, but not without its tragedy, grudges, misunderstandings, dreadful families, and above all, its treatment of women. Chemistry. Dreaded at school if you weren't one of the bright ones. Or used to denote the flowering of a relationship and most definitely the basis for the recipes we use daily. After all, in my day, it was called domestic science. Now I understand where the science came in. But if you were to be asked who the women scientists were in the 1960s, I guess you may not be able to answer. The only name that might spring to mind was Marie Curie, who was long before that. And TV cooks? <laughs> Today they're major celebrities and part of our TV watch list. But in the 60s? The only ones I remember were Fanny Craddock in the UK with her gravelly voice and Julia Child in the US who more than revolutionised how women were viewed. Author Bonnie Carmus has created a wonderfully unique character in scientist Elizabeth Zott. Unconventional, uncompromising, relentless, taking a scientific approach to everything she does including child rearing, you will laugh and cry with her. You will fume at the way her colleagues treat her at Hastings Research Institute. Rage at the liberties that her bosses think they can take. Hmm, not much there has changed. Cry at the injustices that are thrown at her and applaud as the message of this novel evolves. Garmus writes with a dry wit, humour bursting off the pages, but she approaches the misogyny of the time with directness and empathy. Suspicion surrounded women with high intelligence. After all, she was a woman prompting men to use their power to violate and undermine. Garmus's writing is quirky, fast-paced, no-nonsense, and the development of the characters is riveting. It's 1961, the beautiful Elizabeth, research chemist-turned-reluctant celebrity cooking show host, is depressed and wanting only to return to her laboratory. She's a woman who does not fit with the norm of the women of the 60s and has struggled to find friends. Her closest allies are Harriet, neighbour and babysitter to her very bright daughter Madeleine. 
Her dog, 630, attributed with excellent learning abilities due to him having been a bomb sniffer. I so enjoyed the human characteristics that 630 took on, which added to the quirkiness of the story. But rewind 10 years and Elizabeth's life had been somewhat different. She worked at Hastings Research Institute as a chemist in a patriarchal organization. Not an easy time, as you can guess. Her undeniable intellect is intimidating, and her disinterest in relationships insulting. Until she meets fellow employee, Nobel laureate Calvin Evans. Equally awkward, he at least has gender and fame on his side. But as the relationship develops and the members of the Institute monitor it with glee when there is a glitch, and disgust when things go well, it is evident they are soulmates. They move in together, Elizabeth declares she does not need to marry him, in an entirely feminist move, although she wouldn't have thought that, and their lives seem set to be happily ever after. And here is where the story takes an unexpected turn, and Garmus is mistress of the twist, making the novel so enveloping. Forced to move from chemist to chef, Elizabeth's world pivots, but by using chemistry and her skill in making hearty, healthy dishes, she unknowingly allows women to dare to change the status quo. Utterly delightful. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus is published by Doubleday. I saw Bonnie Garmus, the author of Lessons in Chemistry, speaking at the Cheltenham Literary Festival a few months ago, and she is smart and charming. She's an advertising copywriter who, at the age of 65, finally brought out her first novel, to much fanfare and acclaim. Which takes me back to what Shirley Girl has just said in her last review, that we live in a time when we are grateful that life is so much better for so many of us, when a matriarch is not ancient at the age of 64. Write another one, Bonnie Gamas. Thank you, Beryl, for all the reading and reviews you've shared on Book Choice this year. But I wanted to ask you before you go, what was your favourite read of this last year? Looking back on 2022, which has been a good reading year, perhaps my best reads were Still Life by Sarah Winman, The Genie and the Golem by Helen Wicker, and Celeste Ng's Our Missing Hearts. Happy holiday reading and listen out for us in the new year. You're my way of life Can't forget how you looked When we fell in love the first time Won't you give a little love this time Hold me in your love arms this time City's gone away. Looking back in time, I see you. It's only daydreams, cause you're my way of life. Oh, 
You were just listening to Give a Little Love by Zane Adam and Pacific Express. Did you know that all the tracks in this month's Book Choice show were selected and compiled by our musical directors, Rick Everett and Dave Wood? And the theme of all the songs in this month's show is love, because we so love to share these books and this music with you every week of every year. As an added lovely note, every single track in today's show is proudly South African. How lucky is that? Thanks again, Dave and Rick. You're tuned into Book Choice on Fine Music Radio, sponsored by Exclusive Books, with me, your host, Paige Nick, as we wrap up our reading year for 2022 with some great new reads and reflections on our favorite reads from this last year. We're joined now by Rachel van der Feyfer. Rachel is in Grade 8 at Redham in Durbanville. And she's here to tell us about a book called Which Way to Anywhere by Cressida Cowell. We're so glad to have you back on the show, Rachel. And please, listener, do listen out for Rachel's favorite read for this year, which she'll be telling us about at the very end of her review. Imagine a universe filled with millions of planets inhabited by magical creatures, monsters and humans, where people can travel across the universe in a matter of seconds. Imagine a magical family living on Earth. K2 and Isabel, the children of famous explorer Everest O'Hero, are constantly plotting ways to get rid of their step-siblings, Theo and Mabel, and stepfather Daniel. The siblings hate each other, but when mysterious magical things begin happening in their lives, and their baby sister's Annapek is kidnapped, they have to team up and work together to save her from Soul Sidewinder, the mysterious being claiming to be a wandering geography teacher. Although Which Way to Anywhere is more aimed at kids aged around 10, I still enjoyed it, and I think fans of Crystal Cowell's other books will enjoy reading this one too. I also want to mention my favorite book this year, The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness. It is the first book in the trilogy Chaos Walking, and follows Todd Hewitt after he is sent away from Prentistown, a town populated entirely men, to find safety in another town in New World, a new human settlement inflicted with a noise disease. And now we turn to Anthony Frijon, and he's going to tell us about a book called Safari Secrets, The Big Five, by Gerald Hind and Will Taylor. And he's got some interesting insights for those of us who enjoy taking photographs, so take a listen. Over to you, Anthony. Photography has come a long way since the brownie box camera and black and white snaps. Taking the exposed film to the chemist to have it developed, then waiting to see the result of our photographic endeavours. How many of our snaps were, to be kind, not very good? Composition, background and light, just three things that didn't really come up, even though I had advanced to the Kodak Instamatic. The hard truth is, if I bought the very latest camera and assorted lenses and filters, I wouldn't have a clue of how to get the best out of my 70,000 rand camera and accessories, all neatly packed in my very smart camera case. Odds would be that... I'd most likely never win any awards. I'm not being harsh on myself. It's simply facing up to the reality of not knowing how to get the best out of the equipment. Now, with the latest technology, one can capture that perfect moment. But you have to learn how to use your camera and accessories to their full potential. Where does one learn the secrets of taking that perfect shot? An excellent starting point is buying a copy of Safari Secrets, The Big Five, written by Gerald Hind and Will Taylor from HPH Publishing. For decades, Hind and Taylor have collaborated on five books and 20-hour-long wildlife documentaries. Gerald Hind is the photographer. In over 30 years, he's traveled through most of the wildlife areas in southern Africa, 
honing his craft and being recognized as an outstanding wildlife photographer. The love of the bush, wildlife, the natural world has always been part of Will Taylor's life. He holds a master's degree in zoology and, unsurprisingly, he's an ardent conservationist and vastly experienced bush guide. Together, Gerald Hyde and Will Taylor make up an outstanding team. Will, the tracker, to identify where the animal is, not only by their spur, but by the reaction of other animals to the presence of a predator, uncovering their secrets. And then, Gerald takes his amazing shots. To state the obvious, Safari Secrets, the Big Five, deals extensively and in great detail on the Big Five, leopard, lion, elephant, rhino, and buffalo. Taking the section on leopard as an example to quote, the leopard has always been the most elusive and mysterious of the animals that make up the Big Five. So for a start, you have to have an experienced guide, tracker, who knows where the best spot is to see leopard. Noting the reaction of other animals in the area, are baboons and monkeys agitated, vocalizing their concern? They're indicating that a predator is in the vicinity. Now, holding your expensive camera at the ready, you wait. Gerald Hines' invaluable advice on how to have your camera all set up and ready to take a shot. You won't be caught by surprise when a leopard suddenly appears and then disappears into the bush. Following Gerald's advice, you could get a shot to be proud of. Now, you could be taking photographs and not just snaps. Safari Secrets The Big Five by Gerald Hind and Will Taylor is a must if you love the bush and capturing that magical moment, beautifully illustrated. Published by HPH Publishing, Safari Secrets, The Big Five, will make an ideal gift for Christmas. Thank you so much for that, Anthony. But wait, before you go, I also wanted to ask you about your favorite read for this last year. A delightful read this year was The Good Italian by Stephen Burke, published by Hodron Stoughton and set in the Italian colony of Eritrea in the 1930s. This is the story of Enzo Secchi and Artifa, an Eritrean woman. Their relationship is made more complicated when the fascist Italian government invades Abyssinia and the passing of a law forbidding relationships between Italian men and Eritrean women. Superbly written, a very human story. That does sound delightful. Thank you so much, Anthony, and thank you for all the books you've so elegantly reviewed for us this year. We look forward to next year. Now, to keep the green vibes flowing, we turn to John Hanks. John joins us every month in the tireless pursuit of the best nature, adventure, animal, mineral, and vegetable reads. He interviews authors, professors, birdwatchers, and adventurers, keeping us green and ready to go. And this month is no different. John is here to tell us about a book called An Ecological Guide to the Bush by Bruce McKenzie. An Ecological Guide to the Bush is a title which I'm sure will appeal to many of our listeners who enjoy spending time in the bush but also want to know more about the relationships between the plants and animals they might encounter and how these interactions are influenced by the physical environment in which these species occur. It has been written by Bruce McKenzie, who has built up a deserved reputation as a committed and innovative teacher and has always had a strong interest in encapsulating and explaining the essence of ecosystem functioning. 
The title of his book, An Ecological Guide to the Bush, is perhaps a little misleading as the word ecological embraces an extensive inventory of relationships between living organisms and their environment, from the molecular level to individuals and their communities. Bruce has focused on one very important component of these relationships, namely how energy flows through the bush, and the fascinating adaptations plants and animals have made to facilitate this energy flow. He's done this by emphasizing the importance of the size and the shape of a variety of plants and animals, and how these criteria influence the use of energy by both the endotherms, species which use heat energy generated internally by metabolism to keep their body temperatures at the optimal level, and what has been termed the ectotherms, those species that rely on external sources of energy, such as the sun, to raise their body temperatures to a level that is optimal for activity. I've no doubt that the examples chosen to examine energy flows and body structure and form will have a wide appeal, with answers to questions I've often heard posed, such as how much energy does a bird expend on flying? And also often asked why the well-known large predators have to rest for up to 20 hours a day. In the foreword to the book, Professor Eugene Moll wrote, and I quote, Bruce's passion has always been to provide key ecological information as simply as possible so that we, the people, can better understand the world in which we live and so make a difference in the future, end quote. On the whole, this has been done very well. But if there is a second edition, I think some editorial matters need attention. With the publication being written as an introduction to the layperson, a glossary of the technical terms used is rarely essential, as is the listing of these terms in the index. A reader with little or no technical background could be discouraged by the details given in box one on the importance of adenosine triphosphate molecules as an energy source. But if a second edition started the book with the present chapter three, the Savannah, followed by the present chapter one and two, I believe it would be a much better introduction. I will most certainly be encouraging my colleagues working on environmental education programs to get this book, as I'm sure it will stimulate them to bring energy flows into their presentation. For the wildlife enthusiasts who wanted to have answers to many intriguing questions, such as why do the well-known large herbivores produce such poorly digested dung? Think, for example, of the elephant as a classic example, and how the over 1,000 species of dung beetles in southern Africa alone make full use of this valuable resource. You need look no further. These and other answers are here in this book. The title again, An Ecological Guide to the Bush, is written by Bruce McKenzie, published in 2022 by Jakarta Media in Auckland Park, and you can get a copy for 235 rand. Just brilliant as always, John. Thank you. You always offer so much food for thought. Thank you for all the enlightenment you give us. Before you go, what would you say has been one of your favourite reads of 2022? Top of my list for the favourite reads of 2022 is The Ship Beneath the Ice, The Discovery of Shackleton's Endurance. This is a fascinating first-hand account 
of two expeditions to look for Shackleton-ship endurance. It's written with passion and emotion by Mensum Bound, who led both initiatives. He's one of those people who has a natural flair for telling a story at a cracking pace. And as one of the world's leading maritime archaeologists, who's led a host of expeditions to locate many of the most famous shipwrecks, he's ideally qualified to do so. He has succeeded in integrating seamlessly his own experiences on the search with extracts from accounts about Shackleton and his crew, and it makes compelling reading. The title again of my favourite read, The Ship Beneath the Ice, The Discovery of Shackleton's Endurance, and is written by Menson Bound. The sun should tumble from the sky If the sea should suddenly run dry If you love me, really love me Let it happen, I won't care If it seems that everything lost I should smile and never count the cost If you love me really love me let it happen Darling I won't care Shall I catch a shooting star Shall I bring it where you are? If you want me to, I will. You can set me any task. I'll do anything you ask. If you'll only love me still. When at last our life on earth is through. I shall share eternity with you If you love me, really love me Then whatever happens I won't care When at last our life on earth is through of music was If You Love Me by Eve Boswell. Welcome back. You're tuned into Book Choice on Fine Music Radio, sponsored by Exclusive Books, with me, your host, Paige Nick. And we're about halfway through our book journey for this month as we speed towards the end of the year. Twanji Kalula is our non-fiction business book guru, and he's up next to tell us about a book he's just finished reading. It's called In the Name of the People, How Populism is Rewiring the World. This book has a number of authors, 
which I'll leave Twanji to tell you about. And do keep a listen out for the end of Twanji's review, because he's also going to share his very favorite read from 2022. They say insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again, and if you followed this year's news cycle, there's only one conclusion. As a human race, we are not okay. From Putin declaring war on Russia, and the impact of Brexit giving Liz Truff a brief stay at Number 10 Downing Street, to Trump toying with another run for the White House, it seems that we never learn from our mistakes. We are living through a period of unprecedented uncertainty, which seems to be self-inflicted. Trying to make sense of this mess made my latest read very appealing. In the Name of the People, How Populism is Rewiring the World was written by seven authors. Greg Mills, Christopher Clapham and Lyle White start off by explaining how populists like Perón in Argentina, Marcos in the Philippines, Amin in Uganda and Alinda in Chile used the same playbook to rise to power. And of course, Evita Perón and Imelda Marcos make appearances. Tendai Beatty and Ray Hartley then explain how populism has played out in Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Zambia and even South Africa. Juan Carlos Pinzo and Nick Cheeseman then join the conversation, explaining various global dynamics that sustain populism in its current form. The book also features forwards by Lech Wałęsa, who was the first democratically elected president of Poland after the fall of communism, and Venezuelan political leader Leopoldo López. The book is packed with insights and learnings that helped me make sense of how Trump went from reality star to leader of the free world. It also explained the genius political decisions that have helped the EFF and Julius Malema become forces to be reckoned with in record time. Populism has become part of our lives and is playing a huge role in shaping the world. And as the last few weeks have demonstrated, it even plays a role in shaping the factions within the ANC. The book does a great job of linking populism in Latin America to the political movements that liberated Africa and the nationalism that's rattling Europe. In the process, the book highlights the threat that populism poses to democracy as we know it and the forces that are colluding to sustain it. If you're looking for some light holiday reading, this is not it, and you're unlikely to get through it in one sitting. Though it is written in an accessible fashion, the book is dense. There's a lot of information and some of the chapters feel rather academic. That said, if like me you're feeling a little exasperated by what's going on in the world, it is a great substitute for Populism 101. And some of the chapters are colored with great case studies and superb storytelling. In the Name of the People was published by Picador Africa and retails for 358 rand. If you're looking for something a little more thrilling, try my favorite book of 2022, Too Big to Jail. I spoke about this book by Chris Blackhurst a few months ago. Delving into the HSBC scandal, Blackhurst explains how HSBC helped Mexican drug cartels launder money and eventually found itself in the greatest banking scandal of the century. It's American greed meets narcos, and it's so good. Too Big to Jail by Chris Blackhurst was published by Pan Macmillan and also retails for 358 rand. Twanji joined us earlier this year as a new reviewer on Book Choice, and he's already left a solid impression as one of our most popular reviewers. I've already bought a few of the books you've reviewed this year for myself and as stocking stuffers, Twanji, and that last one sounds like I should probably add it to my list. I don't get to read much non-fiction, only because there aren't enough hours in the day, so I always rely on our non-fiction reviewers to keep us up to date with what's hot on the non-fiction shelves. Speaking of excellent non-fiction reviewers of excellent non-fiction, today Melvin Minard joins us with a fascinating roundup of some of the latest political books that have come out over the last few months, including bestsellers from Jacques Pau, 
Ferial Huffergy, and Peter de Toy, and more. It's a handful of books that really give any reader a great idea of where we stand as a country as we go into the new year. Let's not call this a review. Maybe I should just say these books are the have-to holiday reads. Thick books for the beach. To put you fully in the picture of the very strange South African world we live in, Master Jack. These are the books that spell out the sad state of the nation, the wide and mournful landscape of Mzanzi, as they say. But I'm not going to harp on the gloom. I'm going to celebrate the skills behind the books. Like me, you will be transfixed by the magnificent research and honesty behind the prose, but also the quality of the writing. These are real page-turners, not only because you sometimes cannot believe what went on, fact that outplays fiction, but also because journalists like Feriel Hafaji, Jacques Poe and Peter de Toy know how to keep the reader in suspense. Their sharp sentences, turns of the charge phrase and yes, strange or not so strange denouements are perfect beach reads for this silly season. Jacques Poe sent South Africans into a reading frenzy with his exposure of the rot in The President's Keepers. Now his sequel, Our Poisoned Land, Living in the Shadow of Zuma's Keepers, is doing the bry rounds. The man is relentless in exposing the cretins that stole our money, destroyed the institutions, and left us in this sad state, yith, both emotionally and as citizens. Like the previous book, Poe narrates at a pace, dabble delightfully in meticulous detail like a detective reporting, and doesn't hesitate to call out the culprits. It makes for fired-up, page-flipping reading, and of course it puts on record for the world to read what happened under Zuma. Of course it takes more than one to tango, and the equally hefty book, both in impact and text, is the unaccountables, the powerful politicians and corporations who profit from impunity by Michael Marchant, Mamelo Mosiana, Raisa Pather and Henny van Furen. It exposes those who danced with the corrupt devils. A wide-ranging backstory to the Zondo Commission's revelations, we get to know the companies and individuals who should be shamed in the grand corruption game. Again, details make for compelling reading, and the research is tip-top. Peter de Toy's book, The ANC Billionaires, Big Capital's Gambit and the Rise of the Few, is a splendid companion to the unaccountables in that it paints the capitalist canvas on which the ruling party exposed and lost its moral high ground. It started in 1985, de Toys explains, when business people met the ANC leaders at, yes, a Zambian game lodge. The power of corruption had tamed the wildest of the wild. Of course, the Zonda Commission is the year's big story, and trust the precision journalist skills of Feriel Hafaji with scholar Ivor Chippen to clarify the real meaning of the report. Days of Zondu, the fight for freedom from corruption, is a guide to the massive undertaking that was this unique venture into uncovering the evils of state and cronies. While it takes you through the highs and lows, the subtext punts all the serious questions about how, now and the future. It's a riveting read. Melvin, you're such a dedicated and committed reviewer here on Fine Music Radio, and we're so grateful and lucky to have you join us every month and delve a little deeper into what you've been reading. Before we send you off with a thick holiday and a thick book, I was hoping you'd let us know about some of your favorite reads from this last year. But no doubt my best read, among many, this year, was the elegant book by the sharpest of novelist, Bronman Lawful Yun's Notes on Falling, published by Umuzi. As South African as can be, 
and as globally potent and poetic as you can ever ask for. just listening to My Own True Love by Danny Williams right here on Book Choice on Fine Music Radio, sponsored by Exclusive Books, with me, as always, your host, Paige Nick. And that leads us into our final segment for the final show for 2022. We have a really cool interview up next to round off the show with a couple of laughs, thanks to Philip Todras. Every year at around about this time, Zapiro brings out his latest compilation of political cartoons. This year's one is called It's Not How It Looks. I guess when it comes to South African politics, if you don't laugh, you cry. And nobody can make us cry with laughter at our own issues than good old Zapiro. Without a doubt, Zapiro has built, crafted and changed the political cartoon landscape in South Africa. He is an icon and a national treasure, and we're overwhelmingly proud to have him on the show. This is almost traditional. I have in the studio Zapiro, also known as Jonathan Shapiro, and the book this year, the annual, is It's Not How It Looks. 
the 27th annual collection of the works of Zapiro, South Africa's sharpest and most famous cartoonist, says the legend, and all of that is true. But Jonathan, how are we supposed to laugh this year? Because this year is not funny. Every year is funny. <laughs> it's not, every year is funny. It doesn't matter. You know, we've been through COVID. We've been through, like, we get to the brink. We get to this and we get to that. We get to Trump. We get to insurrections. We get to July riots here. We get to floods. We, order, we get to pit bulls. And so not everything is funny. Not every single thing is funny. But there's always you wait a little bit, and then there's always something that one can get out of it. And funnily enough, this particular book, this is the first interview I've done. I've done a few for this year, but this one, it's not how it looks, which has got Cyril on the cover on the horns of a, a red oryx. You know, they're sticking right up his bum. And I'd say the, the horns of a dilemma. Yeah, horns of a dilemma. I've actually done one in, in recent days that's, that's actually got that as a little title. But he's there with that couch and the money and the people people who were sort of kidnapped and that, that draped over the oryx. And the court of public opinion is about to sort of smack the gavel down. And Cyril is the one saying it's not how it looks. Now, that cartoon was topical when I did it. And then I worked the cover out of it. But this is the first interview I've done since it all came right back into sharp focus with, you know, with the Palo Palo report coming out. I mean, it looked very close to his resigning for a couple of days. Now then, of course, the other forces are rallying, and that, that spine that he doesn't have has been sort of provided by other people to tell him, no, 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 he shouldn't resign. So the, you know, all of a sudden, when I was signing books over the weekend, this past weekend, you know, people were coming up to me and saying, you know, the, it, it looks as if the cartoon was drawn today or yesterday. Uh, it, it, that's what happens with, with us here. But I'm going to go back to it. The point is, to me, this year has not been funny. It's Zapiro <laughs> who has made us laugh at things, but making the point that it isn't funny. Oh, well, thanks. For, but, you know, if you listen to, you know, Mark Lottering or you know, or Trevor Noah or this one or that one. You, you, this is what we do. We've got to actually, basically, humor and satire about surprise. And, and if you link things in ways that are not always expected, you can find that, that strange, funny side that makes you laugh. Yeah, and, and that's what we try and do. So really, a lot of your cartoons are not about funny ha-ha, but funny peculiar. Yeah, sure. And, and, and of course, the funny ha-ha comes into it every now and then, yeah. So, and we're going to go back to it. To be a good cartoonist is actually a very serious pursuit. I've always felt that. I mean, basically, I'm not always said I'm not out for a belly laugh. Occasionally, there might be one, but I'm actually out to communicate stuff. And it's just that humor is a fantastic tool to communicate all kinds of things because of that surprise, because of that thing. The thing that's not expected is what's going to make you laugh. I mean, when somebody tells you a joke and you don't expect the punchline, that's why you laugh. And also to look for things that are not ostensibly connected, but somehow you find that connection. That's, that is where that little sort of, I always think of it as a, it's almost like a chemical reaction in the brain. It goes, and, you, and, and it makes you laugh. And, yeah, and you see it in a different way. 
But the point about seeing it in a different way is it makes its point. Mm. And this, to me, is very important as a satirist, as mm. a, whatever yeah. it is, you're telling very important stories yeah. and making people think about it. And get back to what I would like to see is that no history book, particularly for school learners and things like that, should be without cartoons. Because to understand the humor, yeah. you well, need to know the story. Well, one of the nice things that happens when I do these book signings, I did a few in Johannesburg, I did four up there, and I've just done four in Cape Town, and I'll do another another one in Amanis, and is that I, the connection I have with the youngsters now is through those school textbooks and through teachers using them. Also, it goes right through to Vasti. So apparently, you know, from... By all accounts, my cartoons appear, I suppose, because I I do the books and because I've been around a long time and try and tap into what's going on. But the kids come up and they say, I did you in English, in history, in uh, economics, in um, life orientation, in uh, art. And, And the cartoons appear in all these things, which is brilliant. I think it is brilliant. It's a brilliant book. It's a Piero. It's not how it looks. It's cartoons from the Daily Maverick. And if you want to laugh quite seriously, pick up a copy, the 27th annual collection of the works of the very famous Zapiro, the man we've just been speaking to, Jonathan Shapiro. Thank you, Zapiro. Thank you, Philip. Philip, I can't thank you enough for all the work you put in to join us every month on Book Choice with thought-provoking interviews and reviews. We're looking forward to hearing what delights you have for us next year. Listener, if you missed any of the titles or reviews in today's show, you can always find the podcast of the show up on fmr.co.za or you can listen live and find the show again on our app, which you can find in the App Store. So that wraps up our last show for 2022 and what a year it's been in literature. I have to once again, and with all my heart, thank all our regular reviewers, Vanessa Levenstein, Beryl Eichenberger, Beverly Ruiz Miller, Shirley Guella, Twanji Kalula, John Hanks, Anthony Frijon, Melvin Minar, and Philip Todras. This team of incredible reviewers join us every month. They put in the hard graft, they bring us excellent reviews and interviews, and they help us line up what we want to read next. All these reviewers are volunteers, and they give of their time so generously and completely and with such passion. And it's so inspiring to get to work with all of these reading heroes. Also, have to thank our tireless and endlessly patient team at FMR, Mwandi Lobi, Wesley Louise, Mzuma Keta, and everyone else who helps us build and plan this show every month. And this year, we've been especially lucky to have exclusive books stand by our side as our partners and sponsors of this show. And to you, our listener, without you, there is no show. I can't tell you how much I enjoy spending time with you every second Tuesday to talk about books. And I can't wait to be here again in the new year with more great ideas for what to read next. So until next year, when our first book choice show for 2023 airs on the 10th of January at 12 p.m., from me, your book host, Paige Nick, I wish you a peaceful and safe new year and happy reading. Book Choice was brought to you by Exclusive Books, celebrating getting more books to more people. The Exclusive Books recommend selection makes it easy. By curating 25 of the most talked about and trending books hitting the shelves, you can, with one glance, get a snapshot of everything hot in the world of books, locally and internationally. Exclusive books also sell gifts, vouchers, stationery and more. Pop into your nearest exclusive books and feast your eyes. For more information or to purchase online, visit exclusivebooks.co.za.